0: Be sure to hit that subscribe button to make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode, or you can join us live on Twitter Spaces, Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern. Every morning, you become part of the conversation yourself. Thank you again. We look forward to giving you the best Bitcoin content daily, here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast.
1: Aren't you worried? that uh, like you obviously know these words which means you can sweep these coins too so if the coins get swept and there could now be a dispute between you and the person you gave them to they could accuse you of sweeping the coins, and you could say you swept them or you were careless with them so you're not really sending bitcoin to people when you're giving them seed phrases that you know yourself as well correct yeah i mean i mean it's kind of like the
2: cassian coin type of thing going on here there's like a bit of trust involved um and i mean just full disclosure i'm using bip 85 to make these seed plates so i do have like a master seed that can recover all these funds if if need be i'm not storing the uh the child seed phrase i'm just i just have the master seed phrase myself so like it is you know obviously it's a trust-based model um and i'm only giving these to people that i trust and probably trust me hopefully But I do expect them, I mean, you know, obviously I'll give it to them and say like, hey, sweep these as soon as you get a chance to make your own seed phrase, blah, 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 blah. I mean, it's kind of like this gets them going on like the whole idea of like, what is a seed phrase? How do I recover funds? You know, and I feel like it gives them a little incentive to learn that uh, sooner than, you know, just giving them Bitcoin.
1: Good morning, Lisa. Have you done done this a lot? And is it? has it been a good experience for you? Cause we're always all trying to think of ways to onboard people. Yeah. I've done, I mean, I've done it a, a, a few times
2: with, uh, friends and family. Um, like I said, I didn't have like the, you know, I just gave them the you know, plates like straight up without the seed phrase covered. And I think most of them I actually haven't checked. Uh, but I think most of them didn't sweep the funds. They just, <laughs> they just put the, you know, through the, seed plates probably in like a drawer or in, in a safe or whatever i told them to put it in a safe if they have it but um now with the seed phrase covered i feel like it'll make it a little bit more mysterious <laughs> it'll be like hmm what is this thing that's covered and they might, might get a little more interested
3: hey um, but who knows hey, wicked. just just put it on just put it on youtube and tell the three people that you want to give it to it's like whoever swipes it first it's it <laughs>
4: Hey, good morning, guys. Sounds like everybody's had a busy weekend. Uh, Shane, I would love for you to expound a little more if you'd be willing to share as to what went on with yes.
5: with you this weekend. You tweeted about... Yeah, SM, Alex SM. has already
3: asked me to. And once oh, we,
6: okay. Sorry, sorry. Yeah.
3: Once we get on the road, once, well, no, once we get on the road, if, if it if it works out, I'm more than happy to. I'm kind of loading up, but once we get on the road, I'll, I'll certainly spend a little bit of time, however much... Or, you know, five minutes or whatever and, and tell you guys what I experienced. So yeah, happy to do it.
1: Yeah, great. Thank you.
0: So I I found a new coffee. I have switched coffee. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to take a moment and show this company because it is awesome. And it's called, if you go to bitcoincafe.tech, BitcoinCafe.tech. they have this coffee called satoshi's secret sounds goofy i know but like this guy out of the blue he just dm'd me he's like hey i want to send you a t-shirt and some coffee i'm like sure why not and so i get the coffee and it looks like it's already ground and it looks like um hot chocolate mix and i'm thinking oh god here we go but I'm like, we'll try it, you know. So I fire it up, and damn, is it not some of the best damn coffee I have ever had? I am switching officially to Satoshi's Secret 100% Puerto Rico Arabica, Arabica, however you say that. You can use, uh, you can use discount code Satoshi if you want 10% off. By the way, I get nothing for saying that. I just think it's awesome coffee.
7: Yeah, I think uh, Corey's a, a big fan of that
4: coffee too, because I, I saw the guy hanging out and I was like, "Who is this?" And then uh, it's legit. Yeah, and it's I hear it's amazing coffee, so we got to get we got to get him on the panel. Blew my mind.
0: Yeah, I just ordered two new bags of that stuff. Fantastic.
1: Oh my god! And here I am. I'm drinking Nescafe Gold, um, and I claim to be a Bitcoiner. I, ridiculous. I I must repent. <laughs>
0: Well, you know, the military standard for coffee is: does it have caffeine in it, and if so, how much? Like, if you saw how we made coffee on the ships back in the day, man, it would—it's pretty disgusting. They've got these gigantic—you know—these gigantic, I don't know, what are they like, ten gallon, twenty gallon brewing yeah. cisterns, and they never clean them. It's disgusting.
2: You guys would be horrified. I mean, it, it might be in the spirit of, of Bitcoiners, but back in college, um, I couldn't really afford coffee. And so I would just lick caffeine pills, which, which is much cheaper. Um, but uh, yeah, um, that's what I used to do. So I mean, I saved the Satoshis, I suppose. You could just lick caffeine pills.
1: When I think of the money I've wasted... <laughs> on <laughs> stupid frivolous things. It far exceeds all the money I might have ever saved on buying cheaper coffees.
2: Yeah, can you believe that what is it now? Like a Starbucks coffee costs like sixty thousand satoshis or something like that? Is that right? Did I get that math right?
7: I, I didn't know. want to be the thirty guy no who, thirty like, thousand. But satoshis. I went to the grocery store yesterday and a bucket of watermelon was like ten bucks. It was crazy. Just my little complaint about the grocery store prices.
8: I don't remember. Coffee went up like four or $5 at at the stores in my area. I don't remember what website it was, but there's a website out there somewhere that uh, you could get caffeine and everything. And one thing I remember I bought way back in the day was caffeinated soap. So you could basically get caffeinated as you're taking
1: your morning shower. That's called contact
9: high. It worked.
8: I'm drinking a local coffee, uh, local Texas coffee called Jackhammer. It's pretty good.
1: All right. Well, we have definitely given delivered on the promise of cafe in cafe Bitcoin.
0: Hey, you know, the first five or ten minutes of the show, I figure it's it's fair game to talk about whatever. You know, people are just filtering into the room. It's a morning. It's a, you know, it's a nice way to wake up. Hey, good morning, good morning Neil.
1: Neil, do you have any particular songs stuck in your head over from <laughs> the last few days? <laughs> good morning, guys. Uh, yeah, it's hard not to, right?
4: And, uh, yeah, it's a fun time to be alive.
1: I was on a group call yesterday, Bitcoiners, that, uh, for a private a private group <laughs> and then when it was over i wished everyone uh, may may all your stars continue to rise it's a great <laughs> new, it's a great meme
4: hats off to uh to neil his uh website fomo 21 you are fast with the uh the shirts my man that was you're really quick it was good it's a good one yeah no definitely actually uh thank you for plugging <laughs> plugging the site uh fomo21.com it's a bitcoin merchant apparel company i co-founded earlier this year and actually this week uh if you buy two shirts you get one shirt free if you use the uh, promo code rising start so there you go <laughs> that's not that's actually hmm. not a joke <laughs> 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 that's that's actually a real thing so yeah i love it i could. i'll pin that if you do, unless you don't is it okay if I pin that really quick, or
0: to the top? Yeah, by all means, the, man. I don't yeah, know the rules yeah, of, of rules
4: of the uh, the room.
0: Thank you for asking. That's very polite. But yeah. yeah, absolutely.
4: Well, I hate when I'm like running a, a room and then someone like posts something and then takes away from <laughs> what we're talking about. But whatever. So anyway, what
0: you're saying? There you go. Sometimes people will pop up just at random, just so that they can post their crap. But you're like. You're like family around
1: here. Oh, like. thank you. I appreciate it. And I believe you have coffee mugs, not just t-shirts, if you're staying on, if you really want to squeeze in that you're staying on topic. <laughs> yeah, we have coffee
4: mugs, basically any anything you could think of. And if we don't have it, DM me and I'll see if we can slap one of our designs on whatever product you'd like.
8: Yeah, I like that Nakamoto State University shirt.
4: Thanks. Yeah, we have it in a bunch of different colors. So it's not just the gold lettering, but I think it's there's a navy blue, maroon, um, a bunch of different colors. So there's options.
8: It's funny because we're all getting schooled on all this stuff by the actions of the state. So I just kind of like put it all together. I'm sure you're already there. That's why you made it, but I think it's pretty cool.
4: Mm-hmm. The Nakamoto University. Yeah. One? yeah um, I was kind of inspired by another design I saw. It wasn't didn't say Nakamoto State University, but it was had like a similar theme, and I'm like, oh, I don't wanna I'm not gonna just use this other person's uh, design, uh, but I'll, I'm gonna make it into my own, and that's kind of how it how it happened. It's one of our best selling ones on the site. I think it's because like because we have it in so many different colors, like people are able to like match it to wherever they went to school um, with the color schemes.
0: Let's dig dig into some current events, shall we? So, apparently, there are riots going on in like a dozen different countries around the world related to inflation. This is some crazy stuff.
4: Yeah, I always wonder... I saw Sri Lanka. Yeah, I always wonder with the internet, like what what's real and what's not like is this like a group of 100 people in countries of a million people and no one else cares about it and i'm not talking about sri lanka specifically just in general i just feel like we have to be careful but it does seem like a lot of instability all around the world
0: yeah not all okay i take it back not all of it's inflation related like that stuff that's going on in the netherlands is um one of these situations where the government is trying to shut the farmers down they're trying to get they're trying to force the farmers to sell their farms to the government because of cow farts i guess
4: i guess it, it but all these things they might not all be related to inflation specifically but they all kind of reinforce why bitcoin's so important right just um, not you know being controlled by the state and having your independence
0: Yeah, I feel like it's all related in the aspect of proof of stake. You have proof of stake governments, fiat governments that do stuff to you really without your say pretty much. Same exists in the money. And I think it's basically, what's the word I'm looking for? It's corruption.
4: Yeah, all these things like to people like us make Bitcoin seem so obvious. Um, it's kind of crazy how it's not more obvious to other people. But money is a hard thing to really understand because we, we all are, not all, but most people are super. Um, I guess like arrogant and they think they understand money because they have dollars in their wallets, right? They're able to spend on a daily basis, but really understanding like what makes a good money, the the qualities and characteristics and a little bit of the history of money is such a blind spot for people. They don't realize that having a money separated from state could really help alleviate a lot of the uh, problems
1: people have. I, I think another one of the major connections between these protests and Bitcoin is the issue of energy. And Sri Lanka, from what I understand, really collapsed on the basis of the the environmental policies that restricted access to energy. What we're witnessing in Western Europe is fear of, you know, the Germans are saying they're going to turn down the heat this winter if you're renting a house or if you're living in a rented apartment. And Bitcoin's connection to energy, looking at it favorably rather than as destructive, is a connection to reality that... I, I think uh, the philosophy of politics has gotten completely detached from. like we need energy to live. energy is life, and carbon dioxide is one of the key uh, molecules in life itself. It's, it's what trees are made of. It's what plants are made of. And this deta- this um, idealistic, not uh, maybe that's the wrong word, but th- this rationalistic detachment from reality, which is, to your point, Alex, which is kind of what proof of stake is. It's a separation from actual work. And it's this notion that if if instead of doing work to build factories and extract energy and build things, we somehow move theoretical values on spreadsheets like the interest rate and the money supply, which we can print with no work, we'll actually have abundance or we'll be able to live. And you, you can't heat a home with digital dollars and you can't heat a home... You can't feed a person with an interest rate change like there is actual work that needs to be done and work is the expenditure of energy in creative ways to extract more energy than what you put in and i just think that the governments of the world have become the philosophy of them has become so detached from the notion of doing real good honest work that they do not see that they are destroying civilization as they go about destroying it because they think they are protecting something, which is reducing carbon emissions. And they place that as an ideal above human survival because they haven't thought it through. And and then we end up seeing these kinds of, um, protests as we're seeing and collapses and like the world is warning us right like look what happened in Sri Lanka look what's happening in the Netherlands look what happened here look what happened there you got to put the brakes on the thing that's causing this to happen not just print more money or print less money uh, which, which is which is what the governments think is a solution it's like well we are printing too much so we should print less and that'll fix everything and neither of these things fixes anything.
0: I do uh, think some people have thought it through. I think there is a source for this narrative, and I think it's the WEF.
4: Yeah, I think a lot of people, though, actually don't think they're putting humanity's survival below these things. They think those things are necessary for humanity's survival. They're wrong.
0: Uh, Well, it's this whole situation where you've got this entire... There's an entire group of the population that's basically fallen prey to this series of cons that's ongoing you know they can get one group of people to jump up and down and scream and tear their clothes and gnash their teeth over the climate crisis quote that's how they feel like they can justify ramming this stuff through these people are extremely loud
4: yeah it's hard it's hard to understand anything these days there's so much noise And I really don't think like, like all these like climate activists are necessarily have bad intentions. I just think they just don't, uh, understand. I think that's, that's, yeah, I
0: agree. But, but they've, 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 they have they have they have I do not necessarily think they have bad intentions. They've just been identified by certain people as being able to be wound up. They put a quarter in them, they wind them up, they spin them a narrative and they start shrieking.
4: Yeah. I think that's like common place amongst like, especially in America, like a large swath of society and it's not just like climate activists like left-wing ideologues i think it's just um people know how to push buttons and trigger people and it's just made for a really like shitty uh society to live in
0: chris what are you thinking
10: yeah, no, I kind of tying in exactly what Tomer and Neil were saying. Um, I'm in a book club with actually its primary people from the UK uh, with Bitcoin is Venice. And there was a discussion this weekend where it was, he was an older gentleman and uh, he's retired. And he's like, yeah, I have Bitcoin as part of my portfolio. But for the most part, he's on fixed income. And he was just talking about like energy prices. He's like, yeah, five years ago, in order to heat his home was around $100 or 100 pounds, excuse me. And uh, now in the last five years, especially what's going on with Russia and and everything that's going on, it's 485 pounds or British pounds to pay for it. And he's like, yeah, like, you know, I can't really afford that kind of expense. I'm I'm on very limited, you know, income basically is fixed income. So the UK government, I don't know if a lot of you guys saw this this announced a couple weeks ago, to Tomer's point, they're thinking of printing more money to give the people with subsidies or, or that are on fixed income. In order to pay their gas bills, which is going to cause gas bills to go up further, it's like this endless cycle, and it's just—I uh, don't want to say mass hysteria—but it's not good. It's—it's it's only going to get worse. The inflation's only going to get worse. I know that's specifically the UK, and uh, but yeah, I mean their their solution for the problem is to print more money to try and fix this. It's just pretty uh, pretty insane.
0: It's interesting to see how the EU is starting to backpedal on what's what's considered green energy, though.
10: Yeah, because th- I think they're starting to realize the issues that printing more money causes, that they're like, okay, we need to just get other sources of energy in here to try and you know diversify it, support the grid, and to bring energy costs down naturally with market dynamics instead of by printing
1: more fiat tokens or units into the system. There, there was some kind of subconscious realization of reality, though, in acknowledging that natural gas and nuclear were green technologies. Which which was this holy shit? Like, you know, when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine, these intermittent power generating technologies that we've implemented do not provide energy. And and this is now and, and I think they're getting scared. They're they're feeling it in the pocketbook, but they're also feeling it in the air temperature, right, right in the looming threat of winter coming and not having enough. Power well, everything this
0: it. just this just came out today is that Russia is quote temporarily shutting down the Nord Stream natural gas pipeline to Germany for repairs. I wonder how temporary that's going to be.
1: Yeah, that, that's a that's an overt threat, right? Like that's <laughs> that's an overt I think threat. it is. I mean, they yeah, can yeah, easily you, say we're you shutting. Need to do some, yeah, yeah, you need to do something, or we're not turning this valve back on.
0: fascinating. It's like we're in this era of the human race where the whole um, wavy hands thing smoke and mirrors, house of cards, whatever you want to call it, like these folks that have depended upon manufacturing a narrative um, fiat money is worth something, right? We're going to print Trillions and trillions of pieces of this money, and it's 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 actually valuable. It's almost like across the spectrum, these kind of narratives are falling down. Definitely interesting times.
1: You know, I was uh, this is a slight tangent, but it's it's still on top. I was thinking this weekend that we all know what the universal symbol for peace is. It's that logo with, um, but. If I was to ask you, like, what's the universal symbol for freedom? Is there does freedom have a logo? I don't think it does. And I, I think I mean, I think it did. I think it was the United States flag or the Statue of Liberty. but the, those things no longer stand for freedom in the world, unfortunately. and um, and so there's this jump ball for what freedom is. Right now, and and I do think that Bitcoin is the closest thing I've seen to a symbol for the continued pursuit of freedom all over the world and and this representation of it. I think we're very early still, but I hear, you know, whereas Bitcoin's knockoffs are talking about trying to be like sound money or trying to be smart contracts or trying to be X, Y or Z. Bitcoin's the one that's talking about the implications and meaning of of freedom. and it's connection to all these other things, but it's, it's leading with that rather than, rather than get rich quick, um, or be on the end club or get in early. I don't know what some of you guys think about that. That's the first time I've shared that thought because I only recently had it.
0: I think you're right. And, um, you know, me pretty good Tomer. like freedom is a pretty high priority for me. It's one of my top values. I was thinking the other day, like you, you said verbally what I was thinking subconsciously. I was going to have BitMEX make me a new t-shirt. And I wanted to do it in the grunt style kind of style, you know. American flag on one shoulder. And on the other shoulder, I wanted to put like a Bitcoin symbol. And it just occurred to me you saying that is that that's why.
1: Yeah, I'm writing a piece for Bitcoin magazine about the block size wars. They reached out and asked if I could write something because I I was modestly involved. I I was a participant and um, and this is really what came out in the same way as you're just describing It's like what I realized what what we were all really fighting for wasn't segregated witness or smaller block size it, and wasn't it wasn't just The ability to run your own node and it wasn't just decentralization, which are all the things that build from it. It was that we really believed that this was a a battle for freedom. And that's why we were not prepared to compromise on anything that would compromise anything that might limit the ultimate freedom impact of Bitcoin. So that's... um, it starts to emerge that subconsciously this is what you're after right you don't have to have the word freedom to know that you don't want to be controlled by somebody it's useful to have the concept and it's useful to connect it to what it is that's going on that leads to it of course but he, but you know it intuitively you know it um almost um what's the word i'm looking for That's on the tip. Instinctively, right? Like this, something that is limiting me is bad for me. Something that is not limiting me is good for me. If, if it's not limiting for me, me, then I need to take responsibility to decide what to do with it. And that's what gets you eventually to this concept of, of freedom and, and taking actions so that you can continue to have freedom, which is choice and control over your own destiny.
7: Hey, uh, I'm, you guys. Can you hear me? Okay. Okay. I'm I'm on my motorcycle. I'm heading for a motorcycle uh, camping trip here. So, but I did have to chime into this. Uh, I have to uh, push back on uh, Tomer a little bit. Um, I don't. I think that the, the problem is that the U.S. is still seen as the bastion of freedom for the world, but it's a mistake. It shouldn't be seen as that. And. Uh, to your point, Alex, about uh, the Bitcoin versus the American flag, you know, the famous scene in um, uh, Full Metal Jacket where the colonel comes up and yells in Joker's face about the peace symbol and the uh, and the war on his helmet and Joker's response is about the duality of man. I think you've got a new scene for that, Alex.
0: Mm-hmm. To be clear. I want to put an American flag on one shoulder and Bitcoin on the other shoulder. So both will be there. Shane, what are you thinking?
3: Hey, oh man. Uh, This made me literally have a kind of in real time thought that I know all Bitcoiners will appreciate. But I think, you know, some of these things that we're talking about people, the the average, bridge, hamster wheel person, which, you know, many of us have been on in the past or will never come to these conclusions if they're either not presented with a proper view of history or don't somehow find it out themselves. And I'm a perfect example, you know, with regards to, you know, prior to let's say maybe a year ago, with regards to just not understanding why hard money and especially Bitcoin, why it truly can bring freedom, because I don't think a lot of people realize the for example, this is only one of many, but the weaponization of the dollar, right? Yeah. And all the things that, that have been going on. So.
0: Yeah. yeah. A lot of people don't understand because they don't, they don't think about money. Money is like air for most people, right? As long as you've got some, you're okay. It's when you completely cut off a person's air supply that it becomes immediately incredibly urgent. Right? So most people don't think it through, don't really understand that dishonest money causes dishonest everything. It's a cancer in the culture of mankind It eventually causes corruption in your political systems and in your institutions and in your banks and in your justice systems, turns society upside down. People don't know right from wrong anymore. And I feel like that's kind of where we are right now. So Bitcoin to me, it helps us understand true north again. Like that's just my, I don't know, kind of waxing philosophical here.
3: What's up, BJ? Yeah, good points, Alex.
7: What's up, guys? I'm just leaving from uh, spending a night in what I call the city of romance, Newark, New Jersey, in an industrial parkway, and uh, heading back <laughs> up to Canada. Um... Just wanted to touch on something you just said, Alex. You know, when you, come, when you talk about when you essentially get rug pulled from your money and you don't have access to it, um, something interesting just happened last week. In Canada, we have a duopoly on technology. Bell and Rogers essentially run our entire internet infrastructure, and Rogers was shut down for a day. And Tomer can you know confirm all of this? And so, not only did people not have internet. But the banks didn't have internet. Uh, There was no debit transactions in half the country. Uh, I have a friend of mine who lives in Florida. He couldn't use his credit cards or his debit cards or any of that stuff. And I said to him, yeah, how do you like how it feels? And what's interesting is since then, you know, I've been helping some of these people that were following the convoy get into Bitcoin, understand what it is and why it's important. And I'm getting these private messages now saying, uh, yeah, I'm really worried about what just happened with Rogers. Uh, you know, Can I use Bitcoin? How could we use Bitcoin? Uh, and they're now seeing that as another catalyst to they need a hedge against the, ter- the current monetary system. And uh, I actually just started mining last week. I got my first ASIC miner, set it up, all that sort of thing. And I said to her, listen, that's why I've gone down this journey. It started with a hot wallet and there was a cold wallet. Then it was a couple of nodes, and now it's a minor. And it's like, you know, once you go through that, you never forget it. And it's amazing. None of these people like us in the convoy didn't do anything wrong. Just Rogers was either hacked or whatever the problem was. And half the country was wiped out and separated from their money.
0: False flag test.
7: <laughs> it was Putin. No, no, everything is Putin's fault. I think
0: that's the way it works here, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm actually glad you brought that up. That scenario of the internet going down is brought up quite a bit as, a, uh, as an argument against Bitcoin. So, we have a lot of smart people up here. Talk to me about... How does Bitcoin continue? How do you continue to do transactions if, in fact, the internet is shut down in your country?
4: How does our society work today without? if you didn't have Bitcoin, if the internet shut down? How would the banking system work today? It wouldn't.
3: Well, it it wouldn't, but that, but I think the question that he's asking... Well, him, my, my point I is, is like, we, Neil, need the, we need the this, internet
4: in modern days. We can't live without the internet, so I just... In, a, in modern day society like everything would fucking collapse
0: this is so. the gold bugs argument though this is this is where gold bugs are coming from when you talk to like but gold bugs sometimes they'll say all right well the reason i have gold and silver is in case the internet ever shuts down and everybody's response to that is well the internet don't ever shut down well it just did in canada
4: <laughs> well but yeah but what what's gonna have play that out i mean uh, am i gonna give a shit about gold if the internet goes down like but i'm just gonna Neil, i'm gonna care about is, where do i get my i'm sorry but I, no i was
3: just gonna and i normally don't do this but the answer is there are ways and so maybe we should talk about
4: them you're oh, making yeah, there yes. Are, yes. a really yeah, good point I mean, it's, yeah it's just weird fud to me in my opinion but yeah go ahead
0: Oh it's only weird if it's unimaginable right so the way i think about things is on scales of probabilities what's the probability that the internet'll shut down what's the probability we'll have nuclear war what's the probability of the probability of this that or whatever and then you can build your risk stack based upon that but to just put your head in the sand and say well this probability doesn't exist i don't think is is a rational no way.
4: no no that's not what i'm saying i'm saying if that probability like happens we're fucked like everyone like half well, the it, population yeah but that's not it a that's that that's half not
0: an intellectually going to like die
4: because of that's
0: not an work. that's not an intellectually rigorous response to the to the issue let's get, we got a bunch of cans here let's let's go around uh, i don't know who was up first
2: i think i okay. might have been yeah i'll just i'll just jump in here real quick so if the internet went down for like a prolonged period of time um, I mean, there, there are ways to broadcast transactions, but I think what might be more interesting is, um, yeah, I think the world would quickly kind of converge onto uh, kind of more um, like smaller communities and trust based models would start to flourish more than they have recently. And in that scenario, um, Bitcoin might still survive just as a unit of account and uh, my metal plates might be doing pretty good. I'll be <laughs> me and my friends will be uh, passing those back and forth and be using offline Bitcoin. I mean, like that's Bitcoin can be offline too, fellas. Like if you have trust, right? Uh,
4: that doesn't seem like a long-term solution. And I mean, are you? Is, of course, is this either. scenario, like the internet's down forever. Like I, I really—is that what? We're yeah, saying? I
0: don't. I don't think uh, internet. I don't think internet down forever is realistic um i don't think there's a high probability of that the question is you know what do you do in the intro so i don't know who's next mike or chris chris
10: yeah i mean uh i actually was just listening to why are we bullish this friday i know nvk was on there and he brought up that he's done transactions with the ham radio i'm not saying everyone has a ham radio in their house and able to do that but also i know blockstream has a satellite which you know people can do satellite transactions if the internet is down here you know you could be beaming up to satellites obviously then it's like well is the internet down are satellites also being shot out of the sky like you can definitely play it out of like it's more, more of wartime uh but those are just two methods that he's done i believe he even used it uh correct me if i'm wrong but i think he used either uh nfc via the ham radio was able that's how he was able to do it uh, but i could be wrong with that but uh, yeah th- those are just two things that i default to right when i think of internet going out and there's kind of just two ways they play it out if it's Short term, it's like, all right, I'm going to wait. it's kind of a nuisance. If it's long term, that's kind of when you need to start building out your other scenarios. Maybe getting a ham radio or doing building a blockstream satellite are kind of the two that come to mind.
2: Quick question. So I know blockstream satellites are in geosynchronous orbit. Are they a lot harder to shoot down than regular satellites?
10: Uh, I'm not sure. I, I'm not a, a ballistics expert or aeronautical engineer, so I guess I'll default that to someone else.
2: I would imagine they are because they're a lot further away, but that's just, a, yeah, I don't know for sure either.
11: I just wanted to <clears throat> bring up to the topic as well, like, what I agree with Neil's kind of, like, take point points, like, if it's, if, that situ- if this scenario that we're all kind of pontificating on were to occur, it would very much be brief. But uh, at the same time, if we're gonna like pontificate on the internet going out, um, I don't know how many of you guys have been in like a, a region that has lost power. Like the eastern portion of my state lost power in 2020 due to a like an intense windstorm. And if you don't have power, you don't have internet, and there is zero transactions occurring, regardless of whether the internet is there or not. So it's just it's it like. I, again like the things that i've brought up many times in our conversations seem pretty doomerish but uh like the internet stuff i just is not something that particularly concerns me
8: yeah i agree with mike i mean we you know the we lived through the texas freeze uh a little while back and i mean and it was like days and days with no connectivity and there wasn't anything it was what we had in the house and you know that that was pretty much it um as far as technical, I mean, I know that not everybody is technically like savvy, but I mean, just from a technical standpoint, I mean, it, it's possible completely without internet. I mean, the there, there's radio mesh networks, uh, there's services out there like local mesh um, who are providing mesh networks. Um, the Running a node can can be run on solar, it's very low um, you know, requirements. I think that, again, not everybody's gonna just jump into that mode but technically speaking, shutting off the internet is not going to necessarily necessarily just kill Bitcoin.
0: It'll
4: just kill millions of people if it happens for an extended period of time. Like that's I
0: just don't get. It. There you go. Yeah, Tomer, what are you thinking?
1: Yeah. Uh, so first off, I shared in the nest an article that we published on Swan Bitcoin about this very thing a little while ago, called "What." Happens if the internet goes down? What happens to Bitcoin if the internet goes down? So, uh, click on it. Take your time to read it. It covers a bunch of these uh, uh, of what everybody's saying. I I was here, and uh, and as um, as B J was saying, we've got two providers. One of them went down. That took down their cellular network, their cable network, their uh, ISP network, and the implications were. I I use them for my phones, but not for my home, so I still had home wi-fi internet um, but our phones weren't working and my kids wanted to go downtown and go from one location to the other to another which meant that they would have to uber around and uber wasn't working right because uber requires data on your mobile phone uh, it wasn't working for customers and it wasn't working for drivers so they had to change their plans they ended up canceling their daytime plans and only going to their dinner thing and i ended up driving them and hanging out and Working on my Bitcoin Magazine article while they were at their show, uh, so I didn't have to make two trips. But it 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 really settled in as we were trying to figure out what are, what's going to be the plans for the day because of this and that and the other. It's it's so ubiquitous the internet and we we become so dependent on it that until it disappears, you don't really appreciate. Now, having said that, it wasn't a it wasn't a disaster. Right, there was still one provider who was up, and anybody who really badly needed something. Could borrow a connection from somebody else. Um, now that, that said, obviously, this company, Rogers, has built has found fi- has found a way, as corporations often do, uh, to take a foolproof technology that is able to withstand nuclear uh, attacks and make and make themselves so fragile that they own gold themselves. That they did something themselves that took down their entire network on, on a topology that should be resilient to even nuclear strikes against portions of their network. So the in, ineptitude in their architecture has, this is the second time it's happened in two years, by the way, has really revealed itself. And they've got to, whether they've sacrificed resilience for efficiency or resilience for security or, or whatever it is, they've, they've botched this. And they've got to clean it up because it really should be like if they don't fix this, eventually we will have to figure out how to build our own peer to peer Internet, which isn't an impossible thing by any stretch of the imagination. It's the way that the technology is architected. It's all open source. You can buy any or all of the components um and you can transmit it over wires and wirelessly as well over different distances in different ways and so something like like, you know in the same way when we say harsh things to bitcoin are good for bitcoin i actually think in the long term this is good for this is good for the internet right it'll it'll force people to develop ways to ensure added resiliency against this trust-based model where you know we've put our we put our internet custody in the hands of two companies in this country and we're starting to find out that they that this has made them soft, and it's made our internet soft. So yeah, that's
0: up. what I was thinking. Yeah, I I, I, I agree with that. I, I I was just wondering that you know how much is this? So so we're in this kind of shift in a lot of areas. The, the human race is moving towards decentralization in a lot of ways. Countries are disconnecting from each other. The international sort of commerce system is disconnecting in some ways and becoming siloed off. Human beings are becoming more resilient. That doesn't mean we're becoming disconnected from each other, but I think humans are moving more towards how do we do some of this stuff on our own. I don't know who's next. we got a lot of hands here. That's a prompt for you guys to just jump in.
5: Yeah, I guess I can just chime in here a little bit. Um, Bitcoin by design, right, is a peer-to-peer uh, digital cash. And really, what are we talking about? Uh, it's not necessarily the ability to transfer Bitcoin uh, when the internet goes down, but ra- because we can do that on pa- with paper Bitcoin, we can do that with cold cards, we can do that with all sorts of things. It's the idea of receiving a payment and knowing that that payment is confirmed on chain. And what that means is you need fair block propagation, even without an internet. Yes, the idea of block stream satellites have been brought up. That's a block propagation scheme. But ultimately, what we're what we're looking for is much smaller networks that operate on that peer-to-peer scheme. Um, and if you look at like the Pacific Northwest, uh, New York City, there are uh, peer-to-peer mesh networks that are growing, uh, not only out of necessity because a lot of ISPs don't service a lot of these areas or they service them very poorly or there's only one major ISP competitor in that area. Uh, These networks are popping up. But what we're looking at is block propagation. One of the beauty of Bitcoin's design uh, is that you can independently distinguish between uh, a, a chain of lower work versus a chain of higher work. Uh, how, much, how much thermodynamic security, how much hash power uh, has been accumulated on one particular chain or not. So the, the internet going down, as long as you have some degree of fair connectivity uh, to one of these peer-to-peer networks and a block propagation scheme, you can verify that a payment that you have received uh, is in the chain of higher work. Um, and and that, that, again, does not negate the entire idea of paper Bitcoin, right? Uh, if you have confidence that your cold card, uh, the private key has not been dumped, for example, when you, when you got that cold card or when that cold card was handed over to you or when the paper Bitcoin handed over to you, uh, you have confidence that key has not been revealed, you, you don't necessarily even need the latest blockchain, uh, the latest tip of the chain to confirm that that payment has been received. So long as you can uh, be certain about the security of that private key and you see that transaction sufficiently deep in the chain, you have a high degree of confidence that it is a valid payment. So uh, while Bitcoin may not operate uh, super as effectively and quickly as we want it today, As long as there are the development of these smaller peer-to-peer networks uh, and there is some degree of connectivity between them, uh, Bitcoin will continue to operate just fine and uh, it will be effective even in a world where, you know, it's an EMP blast and a lot of technology goes offline. Um, And to kind of address the question about satellites, yes, satellites in geosynchronous orbit, uh, them being much higher up are significantly more uh, difficult to shoot down. I don't think there's been a single, uh, basically every satellite that has been demonstrated in one of the anti-SAT missile research or whatever, all of them have been in low Earth orbit. So that's the end of that.
0: Hey, Eric, I'm going to challenge you to restate everything you just said in less than three minutes using words that people who aren't Bitcoiners will understand. I'm just kidding. I won't do that to you
5: that would be <laughs> it, it's it's maybe a topic not for not a future here. article.
0: <laughs> One thing I do want to have, I do want to have um, you explain, if you would, to people who are new. You said sufficiently deep in the chain. What does that mean? And and explain it in non Bitcoiner language so new people can understand what that means.
5: Yeah. So Bitcoin is based on uh, something called proof of work. Uh, transactions are broadcast to the world. Uh, and the miners basically accumulate those transactions and embed them uh, with a certain amount of provable energy that is spent uh, to generate the next page in the ledger. The next block is what we call it in Bitcoin. For each new block, uh, there is basically a uh, asymptotic, uh, that's the word I can't use, asymptotic approach towards 100% confidence, of course, It's not always, it'll never be 100% confidence, but for every block in the chain that that you move, you advance, I don't know the exact number, but it's about 90% of the remaining distance to 100% uh, confidence that that transaction cannot be reversed. The amount of energy spent is cumulative. So for each page in the ledger that's added uh, by the miners, Uh, It is that much energy plus all of the energy that has been accumulated uh, from the transactions point in time where it's embedded in the chain uh, to reverse. So... um, let's let's uh, put
0: this into practical terms. So, like, if you're worried about whether a transaction can be hacked or stolen or changed, in order to change that, once it's one, two, or three blocks buried deep in the blockchain like a certain period of time has passed. Every 10 minutes, there's a new block. Once it gets buried deep enough, it becomes so difficult to change that because of the amount of basically hashing power and energy you would have to apply to do it. It becomes nearly impossible is basically what it comes down to. You'd have to yeah, like-
5: There's actually a really good section in the Bitcoin paper, bitcoin.org slash bitcoin.pdf. Uh, there's a table uh, that that very clearly describes- what the probability uh, of a of a dishonest uh fork or group of miners uh out-competing the honest group of miners uh and the paper recommends six confirmations which gets you to something like 99.39s i believe it is uh 97 uh percent confidence that the honest chain is going to win at six confirmations Um, And then obviously, it just continues to approach 100% from there. Uh, But I do recommend just it it is it's actually a surprisingly easy read. Uh, I think it's like page seven of the white paper, this table uh, that just describes how each block from zero blocks, which is effectively 0% confidence to one block, which brings you up to 90% to two blocks, which brings you up to like 90, 98% confidence and so on.
0: Cool. All right, let's let's uh, let's hit some announcements. We haven't done that yet this morning, and then we will keep rolling. So you are listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning and welcome. If you've never been here before, we talk about Bitcoin. We do it every day. This is a live show on Twitter Spaces, Monday through Friday. We start at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern, roll for two hours. Great place to get your morning news on Bitcoin, to learn about Bitcoin. If you're new to Bitcoin, you want to learn about Bitcoin, this is a great place to do it. A preferred to hang out for some of the smartest minds in Bitcoin to just chill, talk about what's going on. If you can't catch the live show, it is also a podcast up on Spotify and Apple. You can throw myself a follower, Swan Bitcoin, to be notified of when those drop. I work with Swan Bitcoin. Swan does some pretty cool stuff. If you want to give a gift of Bitcoin to a friend, family member, colleague, enemy, you can do that. SwanBitcoin.com slash gift. Swan also does this thing called the Bitcoin benefit plan. If you're an employer, you want to give Bitcoin to your employees and orange pill them at the same time. Swan will work with you to create like custom education. It's pretty cool. Um, also, we have an app now. SwanBitcoin.com app. It's in beta. That's why it's not up in the stores yet. But if you want to check that out, you're welcome to do that. And let's keep rolling. So, Saylor was recently asked about Ethereum being a commodity. I'm just going to read his response real quick. I'd like to dig into this and get some thoughts and comments on it because a lot of people are confused by this. The direction that the legislation, the regulation is going is to call Ethereum a commodity. And, uh, I mean, this is the stuff that's been put forward. I don't know how far it'll go. But, so... When he was asked about it, he said, I think Ethereum is a security. I think it's pretty obvious. It was issued by an ICO. There's a management team. There's a pre-mine. There's a hard fork. There's continual hard forks. I don't think hard forks makes it a commodity or a, or a what, or security. But there's a difficulty bomb that gets, keeps getting pushed back. And his argument is is that the constant need for software upgrades on a network driven by a team or entity represents an indicator that Ethereum is a security. And he also pointed out the design of the long-delayed difficulty bomb. (laughs) He says, we'll murder the entire Ethereum mining industry as an example of such. What do you guys think? So it's
5: my understanding from some inside sources that the SEC is fairly pissed off that they missed the statute of limitations for prosecuting Ethereum and its founders as a security. Um, So the commentary that it is a security uh, does not surprise me, but the reason we don't see so much regulatory action against it is purportedly because of the statute of limitations. I think at the time... The statute of limitations was five years, and kind of in response to that, they lowered that expectation down to three years after the fact. But that still doesn't uh, bode positively uh, for Ethereum being prosecuted as a security. Uh, With regards to it being classified as a commodity, I think that's just wishful thinking. Um, I, I think the demonstration of control with regards to the hard forks um that that is a objective demonstration of control which is just the icing on the cake for me uh, with regards to classifying ethereum as a security um so there is that bit of bitterness and that's why you see them acting so aggressively towards all of the other things because they let one get away away from them uh and now they are you know aggressively kind of compensating for that um now I'm not hopeful to see any particular sort of regulatory action against Ethereum, uh, but it stands clear just on the Howey test itself that Ethereum should be classified as a security. So I just think it's wishful thinking to head towards the uh, commodity classification, for which, in my opinion, again, not legal advice, but uh, Bitcoin is the only digital asset that can be
0: classified as a commodity. I had not heard that um, part about the past. The um, I, I'm fr- I'm missing. The, I'm missing the word. Statute of limitations. Based, that that's it. Yeah, the statute of limitations. It had never occurred to me. That's actually a really good point.
12: I I'm not sure that applies. I got to find out. I'm, I'm probably doing another law show soon. Hey, Eric. And uh, I, I don't think there is a statute of limitations on whether you are or aren't a security. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but we are going to probably do a law show because of the whole Celsius debacle and uh, the latest on the Ripple case being a security. I mean, Ripple is obviously a security. And if Ripple, if the SEC can't prove that Ripple is a security, uh, the SEC might as well just close the doors because they're a useless organization. <laughs>
0: Yeah.
1: Tone. <laughs> Tone.
0: And?
12: There's a lot of, um,
1: I see a lot of Ripple shills saying that they're that the case is going in their favor. I never believed
12: before. No, We're it actually, actually is it. going in their favor. For no, me. no, it, okay. it is going in their favor. So if the SEC can't prove that Ripple is a security, uh, that organization becomes totally useless to the world.
0: So... From a legal sense though, there's, there's two attack vectors here. One is, and, and this is something that we're seeing a lot of now as you're starting to see class action lawsuits against various different coins and their founding teams and the very fact that they're identifying people in these class action lawsuits tells you something about the centralization of these things. Right. And the question to me is, even if there is a statute of limitations on some of that securities act stuff from the perspective of the sec, you know, actions are clearly being brought um, against these other things is, does the statute of limitations things maybe apply in that area too? I don't know. I'm asking.
12: My guess is that, uh, the only way, well, I mean, they can still. I I think they can still go after Ethereum for being a security, but because they're doing it so late, Vitalik will get off with a slap on the wrist, right? So, uh, because uh, it could be like a cr- the, like the criminal side of it, uh, like the DOJ may not get involved. They may work out some kind of a deal, but like the longer that thing's been around, uh, the harder it will be to do anything real about it and i mean they'll just uh they'll work out a better deal let's just say vitalik is not in trouble of potentially going to uh, you know prison but uh if they went after him hard uh, right after the dow hack and them reversing transactions and the sec would have been like that second punch to take ethereum down while they were down and then all the ethereum people lose their money. And the blockchain implodes uh, because the SEC kind of went in that direction uh, when they could have during a DAO hack. That was Ethereum's last, most vulnerable moment. Uh, at that point, I think there could have been some serious consequences to the Ethereum team. But at this point, like nothing's going to happen to Charles Hoskinson or uh, you know the other founders of Ethereum at this point. But they can still go after them. But I don't think they're going after the people. At this point, they just go after the protocol. All
0: right, so in your opinion, when you say go after the protocol, what does that mean?
12: Okay, so here's the biggest thing, right? Here is why Ripple has to avoid being labeled a security at all costs. Because if Ripple is labeled a security, Ripple tokens can no longer be traded on uh, unregulated exchanges, so Binance will not be able to trade Ripple token of Ripple the security the way Binance can't trade Apple stock. So what happens to the Ripple token if all of the crypto you know exchanges are no longer trading it, and New York Stock Exchange is not going to list it as an IPO? Or how do you list it as an IPO, right? This is why Ripple, the company, tried to go public on the NASDAQ or the New York Stock Exchange, right? So now they have like two tokens. Now they have the stock and the Ripple token. So they're trying to make up a reason why the Ripple token needs to exist. But if the Ripple token is deemed a security, they all have to delist it. Like this is why Coinbase immediately delisted Ripple when this case started, because they didn't want to hold on to the Ripple token if it loses that case. Uh, so in the case of Ethereum, if the Ethereum token ETH gets labeled as a security by the SEC and finds the Ethereum foundation, whatever, Binance would have to delist the Ethereum token. Otherwise, the SEC can take down Binance. That's That's the big issue with them being classified as securities
0: okay well let's say they get classified as securities can't they register as securities and then the exchanges become the exchanges would have to do something too
12: there right well right but like the Binance would have to be a viable exchange so like the new york stock exchange or nasdaq i yeah, mean that's they, not they'd an ex- have that's
0: to agree they'd have to agree to be fully regulated as an as a securities dealing exchange exactly
12: so then if binance wants to trade the ethereum token they now have to delist the other three thousand shit coins right so either you're trading securities or you're not i
0: see so it's not quite as simple right as are, is this one thing A commodity or a security it's if any of these things get flagged that way it could if i'm understanding you right blow up that whole ecosystem
12: right uh again i'm not a lawyer uh i don't see joe in here uh but we but we've been talking about this on my show for quite a while that's the biggest risk the biggest risk in the crypto space to the shitcoin casino is if you are labeled a security there's nothing wrong with that right but you no longer have access to the shitcoin casino and the you know the shitcoin exchanges any exchange that trades your token either they see this is where Bitcoin gets this which will pretty much kill it
0: right because all Uh of their volume is coming from people who are buying it probably because they're not securities on a securities exchange right I mean that's the entire market there
12: right now ethereum Uh, And a lot of these things, Ethereum, Ripple, it'll be difficult, but Ethereum's ultimate success is more likely that they make a deal with the SEC, they restructure the company. I mean, Ethereum is just a company. It's like Microsoft. Um, Ethereum restructures as a centralized company. They convert the Ethereum token into an actual security and get it listed on the New York Stock Exchange or the Nasdaq. Now they would have to make these deals in place. They're not going to just go out there assuming that Nasdaq is going to list them. They would have to, you know, they would have to Vitalik and maybe one or two other people would have to go into a room with the SEC, with Nasdaq representatives, with you know, other broker dealers, whatever, and they have to come up with a plan. How do we restructure Ethereum as a company like Microsoft and convert the token into a viable security with assurances that it would be listed on the NASDAQ as the stock of the corporation Ethereum? That could actually save Ethereum because nothing being built on Ethereum needs decentralization other than scams, which is most of the market. Yeah.
3: I got a quick question. So it
12: wouldn't, it wouldn't trade 24, seven, though, anymore, probably. Right. So that's, all right, go ahead.
0: Well, I was going to say, does that even matter? I mean, now you're, you're talking about it's literally converting back into the Fiat system. At that point is going back to legacy finance. It's like, what a, what a mess that would be. Wow. That would be a complete what we call Charlie Foxtrot. Some of you know what that means.
5: So yeah, don't don't forget uh, that uh, the SEC did file suit against Coinbase, uh, listing something like twenty or thirty of these you know shit coins uh, as unregistered securities. So uh, you know lawsuits are ongoing. Uh, these exchanges are being put under that pressure, and yes. The vast majority of them are just going to end up paying fines. But I think Tone is right with regards to the dichotomy. I mean, you're if, if Ethereum does get away, uh, whether it be statute of limitations or, you know, through just backroom handshakes or whatever, uh, that dichotomy, these exchanges are going to be forced to either trade all of these actual unregistered securities and shitcoins or they're going to trade Ethereum. And uh, I, I think that time is coming. I mean, the lawsuit is already in place against Coinbase, and I would not be surprised. I mean, I I, I don't particularly follow the legal sphere that well, but um, I would not be surprised if ex- other lawsuits have been filed or in the process of being filed.
12: Yeah, so I want to, two more points on this. So the 24 hour trading. So there are a couple of things that the, like the world of Bitcoin, the crypto exchanges, uh, the fact that stocks only trade seven hours a day and commodities trade pretty much 24 hours for five days. At this point, there's no technological limitation why Apple stock is not trading 24/7. Okay. And it's nice to take the week, get the weekend off, but then you have this, you know, gap volatility. So it's very possible that. In five to ten years, all of this stuff is trading twenty four seven. Like that is that there's no technological limitation there. There was never a technological limitation to the three day rule. You know, the that's that's the whole thing that C zero was trying to solve, right? It's a regulatory thing. I mean, the only thing that's preventing Apple stock from trading twenty four seven is regulation. It's the the exchanges can do it. The brokers can do it, right? So. Uh, I think so that it is, is, possibly it is
0: regulation that sets the business hours of the exchanges in securities.
12: Well, there's no technological barrier, right? So, right, it has well, to I'm, be I'm just trying
0: to. I'm just tr- not necessarily. It could just be a policy thing. A lot of a lot of tradfi institutions do things that don't make sense because it's it's a tradition.
12: No, but that's but that's regulation to me, right? I just kind of summed it up. Like, if, there's no technological barrier uh, to prevent this anymore, especially uh, uh, right now. Well, like back in the day, you know, back in the ticker tape days, this would have been a lot harder to implement. But um, now, now it's a lot yeah. easier. So also, yeah. don't, don't forget, you know, the it's also crazy, but what FTX is doing, right? So uh, these companies are becoming very wealthy. Like FTX has their brand on a stadium. And FTX, uh, you know, donates a lot of money to the Democrats. Uh, and uh, they've been completely, like, they don't have to worry about, you know, the government coming after them. Maybe when the Republicans come into power, we'll see. But uh, something like FTX, uh, hey, if they make enough money, I know they have a shitcoin as well, which is why I'm not a huge fan of the exchange, just like Binance. But, hey, FTX could buy a real exchange. Like, they could go and try to buy the New York Stock Exchange. I don't know. Maybe that can happen in the future. Well, Wow.
3: are they're also trying to tokenize stocks, right? So, I mean, I don't know how far they'll get with that. But they, they started it and then had to shut it down, I believe, FTX, that is.
12: So, it, it's also possible that one of these, uh, you know, shitcoin casinos does get a real license to trade securities as well as crypto. And uh, that, that could only be done with enough political support, right? So, you fund the right candidates to get into office to write you favorable regulations. And FTX is well, doing suspect, not very well.
0: I suspect, based upon what I've seen Gensler say, that that's actually what their intention is. They want to get these exchanges to be registered as securities traders or whatever you would call it. So that's not surprising. <clears throat> Interesting, the direction this, this could all go. The thing you just said about FTX buying <laughs> an exchange, man, that never thought about that that's mind-blowing you're right though i mean <laughs> they could just buy one right and yeah, that would know. be a signal like you know TradFi nail in the coffin kind of thing not necessarily but you understand what i'm saying it's an evolution it's a direct disruption
12: yeah yeah if you remember there was that scam coin uh token pay and they tried to buy a bank uh i kind of exposed that and I ended up with a cease and desist letter from their lawyers uh <laughs> But uh, yeah, I did a whole episode of crypto scam on that. I also did an episode of crypto scam why Ethereum is a security in like early 2017, if not 2016. I don't remember how long ago I did that episode. But yeah, I mean, like some of the one one of these shit coins tried to buy a bank uh, so that, you know, to give them legitimacy. Uh, But I wouldn't be surprised if one of these crypto exchanges ends up buying like a real exchange.
0: Interesting thoughts to entertain there. Hey, Dr. Jeff, I don't know if you were up here earlier. I'm going to bring you up, talk about macro a little bit. Tom, what are your thoughts on what's going on?
12: Uh, well, Bitcoin price is dropping a bit, but so is the overall stock market. And uh, I don't know, the environment's not looking great. Uh, if we're also down again tomorrow and going into Wednesday, I think we're going to new lows. Like we don't we don't have much room to play with here. Um, I think that the stock market and Bitcoin, I mean, they're very correlated. So I pay attention to the stock market as much as I do Bitcoin. And it really needs to turn around. And uh, um, I, I I think what would turn around the stock market, uh, again, I don't want to get too political, uh, but this whole like Hunter Biden news is out. But I've also been saying this all year, uh if Biden could be removed from office uh, before an impeachment, like an impeachment is not good, but if Biden just you know steps down for health reasons, for family reasons, for whatever reasons, you know, if Biden steps down, even if Kamala takes over uh, or they both step down and they put other people in, if they both step down, I think the markets will crash. But I think if Biden steps down, that would reverse the market. That would give some confidence that a person can actually read a teleprompter that is now in charge of the united states i think that would be the biggest catalyst right now for the stock market so i'm hoping that happens sometime this summer and then the stock market reverses bitcoin reverses you know capital would flow back in a little bit
4: yeah i Jeff. think uh, i think a bigger catalyst would be if the russia ukraine war came to an end
12: I think that would be the biggest thing that could happen right now. You think yeah, that's likely? But, I, I, uh, but I, I don't see that happening at all. Like, I I think there's a better chance that, you know, Biden suddenly, you know, starts being able to reattach. I like, I don't, uh, the Russia Ukraine thing, that's, that, I think that's only going to get worse. I, I don't see how that's going to get resolved.
0: Yeah. I think Tone's right. Jeff Ross, good morning. Jump in here.
12: Hey, morning, Alex. Morning,
6: everybody. It's been a good conversation. I've been in and out of the room, so um, thanks for having me up. Yeah, I mean, what do you, what else am I going to say? I'm still bearish. I, I think that it remains just just super ugly out there, and I think for structural reasons. And I still think I agree with Tone. Uh, I think uh, especially just risk assets in general have much lower to go. Um, th- there are some serious issues out there and we still haven't even like we're in the rough patch right now, but I think it gets even uglier uh, from here personally. So we may have little bear market rallies like we just had one last week. Um, I think any, any, uh, rallies are for shorting personally or for taking some profits and getting, getting out of the way. Um, but, man, it's ugly out there as far as I can see. I don't see anything optimistic, even like political. There, there's, nothing, there's nothing to me that points to upside other than uh, transitory upside. I think, I think the trend remains bearish. Um, I, I just think people got to be careful. Um, I agree with Tone, too. I think Bitcoin and, and uh, risk assets equities are, are pretty tightly correlated right now. And so what that does to Bitcoin, you know, if, if I had to guess, I'd say it's probably going to still go down further. Um, which makes it a fantastic long-term buying opportunity. Um, I'm kind of neutral on Bitcoin, to be honest, though. It's, it's, it's had so much downside already, obviously uh, down over 70% from its highs. Um, it can go down for sure, but I think if it does uh, wick down, I think it's a temporary wick, and that would be a fantastic buying opportunity. But equities, Matt, I'm still very, very short uh, equities in general. I'm short the NASDAQ, and happily so, and I think it has much further to go from here.
12: Yeah, I'm a little more bullish on the overall market uh, than you, Jeff. I mean, this was the area on my charts. I had this. If the market was to go down uh, this year, this is the vicinity where I expected it to start to reverse. So sometime this summer, maybe another 5% down. I don't think we're going to end up with a 50% correction. Uh, I know the NASDAQ has fallen a lot more. So I usually keep an eye on the S&P, that middle ground. Uh, we're down what about twenty five percent off the top? I think maybe we'll be down thirty. I don't even. I don't even think we will go to thirty five. I do think the markets will reverse uh, with the euro being at parity with the dollar. And I think Europe has a lot bigger problems. Uh, where are the Europeans going to put their money? Uh, they're not going to. I mean, where is that money going to go? It's not going to go to China. It's not going to go to Russia. Uh, a lot of their wealth is going to somehow find a way to get into the U.S. So I think the dollar will keep rising, and a lot of that money is going to find you know, safety in U.S. companies.
6: Yeah, I agree with you, except I think that uh, I think most European money is going to go into U.S. treasuries, and I think the dollar strengthens. I think treasuries strengthen and yields drop, but I, I don't know that uh, it'll support equities very much. But who knows? You might be right.
12: We'll, we'll see what happens. I actually think you'd be crazy to put it in treasuries. I think that government debt is currently like the biggest risk on the planet. I would be a lot safer in uh, Apple stock, for example. Uh, I'm just not a fan of the US, you know, social media companies like Facebook because they're due too much censorship. So I'm hoping that the money doesn't flow to them. Uh, But I think new companies are going to bubble up that, I mean, people need freedom of speech. I really think that in the next three to four years, uh, like Facebook and Twitter and YouTube, uh, they're, they're, in, they're in a little bit of trouble. At least I hope they are. Uh, How do but, you
0: fix it, though? How do you fix that?
12: Well, uh, it's a challenge uh, because it's that network effect. But eventually when Twitter, uh, well, Twitter, Twitter, by the way, has got a lot better a lot better since the moment elon musk said he's gonna buy twitter notice how they're doing a lot less censorship and it's a lot easier to get a blue check mark i got it yeah
0: i wonder um, if it's a temporary oh by the way congratulations on your blue check mark yeah. yeah i wonder uh, if it's a temporary reprieve or if this is you know if they're going to reverse course now that the deal is off i saw this really funny meme it' like
12: But they're suing him now. Like, they're suing him to buy it at this point. Like, it's the weirdest thing I've ever seen. It's
0: the weirdest thing. He goes, goes, so he posts this, like, meme tweet in the first one. It was like, they told me I couldn't buy Twitter. And then they said, uh, or they would not reveal all the information I needed about the bots. Now they're suing me to get me to buy Twitter. In which case, in court, they're going to have to reveal the information about the bots. It's pretty funny.
12: Yeah, no, it's insane. So, uh, But I do think that, I mean, where else are you going to put your money? People are going to speculate. And I just think government debt is so risky, especially, look, if the European debt implodes, why would people trust the US debt? We're not that different uh, over here. But I, I think you're safer in companies. I mean, Bitcoin is the safest one. I mean, if anyone's here, heard Greg Foss talk about this. But- I just think government debt's dangerous. And there is enough people out there that are not gonna want to do it. Even US debt.
6: If I can jump in here, Tone, I actually completely agree with you in the mid to long term, but I think in the short term, when we go when we're in a bear market and heading into a deeper recession, I think US treasuries are kind of a historical safe haven asset. I think they continue to be this time. So I think they'll do well in the short term. Like I'm talking like the next like one to six months or so. And then, but yeah, for the long run, I would I would absolutely never own uh, tr- U.S. Treasuries for the long run.
0: It's kind of like yeah, crowding but- into that crowding into that house where you're, you guys have seen that meme where the dog sitting at the at the table and he's like, "This is fine. The House is on fire. Everybody's piling into Treasuries. This is fine. It's all good."
12: Yeah, and also on the short term side, I mean, look like how fast fashion. the euro is dropping. Like the the, the, the the, and this is what I mean. This is why I'm expecting the U.S. stock market to reverse. Uh, sometime this summer, along with Bitcoin, uh, at the end of the summer, maybe September, or maybe as late as October, and uh, yeah, it's possible we can crash real hard, uh, or just like you know get stuck here for a bit. Uh, but I do think that the markets are going to turn around this year, both stocks and Bitcoin. Uh, I still think stocks are going to make a new all-time high uh, because uh, it's just these comparisons to the big crash. Uh, you know, we had we had the big crash in '08. We had the big crash in, uh, in 2000 with the NASDAQ. And prior to that, we had the big crash in 1929. That 1987 thing was a little bit weird. Uh, but, uh, but before you have that kind of crash, you need an exponential rise. And we never had that. Uh, Bitcoin didn't have an exponential rise on the type of scale it did you know, in its prior three bear markets uh, before that, which is why this one is a little bit weird but this one also hasn't fallen as much. It's just been kind of deeper. But I don't expect a 1929 stock market crash until we have the you know, the roaring 20s or raging 20s, whatever they called it. Like the stock market was doubling every year for like four or five years. The stock market never did that. So if the stock market, say, doubles or triples in the next year or two, uh, then we can expect a 60, 70% correction of the overall stock market. But that didn't
0: happen. All right, so let's do this. I'm, I'm curious about that. Then we've got Shane's got his hand up. We'll go with Shane. We need to do some announcements, and then we're going to go to our featured guests for today. So just really quick, Jeff, Antone, do you guys think we got another pump wave inbound? Like, is it going to do what you're talking about, roaring 20s kind of thing, based upon additional stimulus eventually? Well,
6: real quick, I think the resting state for the Federal Reserve is quantitative easing. And so they—they're this is just a temporary uh, break, right? They're, they're waiting to get back into QE again. And so at some point, I actually agree with Tone, I think the markets do um, go down further, but we're gonna see a pivot probably by the end of the year uh, where we do see a bottom. And I think uh, Bitcoin will be the first to respond because it's the world's freest market uh, and then equities will follow and we do get a pump. I don't know that we reach all time highs this year, uh, who knows? Um, but for now I would respect the trend that it's bearish and, and you know, there's no reason to try to catch falling knives, uh, in the meantime, just kind of wait until the bottom is confirmed. Um, and then, and then pile back in if you want. But in the meantime, I, I just really recommend that people You know, stay hedged. Whatever hedge means, build up a cash position. Uh, This is not talking about uh, Bitcoin. Bitcoin, I think, is this is a fantastic time to be dollar cost averaging into Bitcoin. And if you do it already, I recommend you know consider increasing your dollar cost averaging because these real volatile lower prices. I mean, Bitcoin is dirt cheap for the long run, uh, regardless of uh, if you think we've bottomed or not. It doesn't matter. It's it's very cheap right now at current levels. So. Keep, it, keep the long term perspective in mind. Uh, keep dollar cost averaging into it. And I think you'll do very well in the
12: next two to 10 years for sure. Uh, nothing to add to that. That was perfect.
0: Right, yeah. Okay, Shane, go ahead. And then we will hit announcements and uh, introduce our featured guests for today. Or not? Okay, cool. Let's just roll with announcements then. You are listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning and welcome. If you have never been here, we do this every day. Monday through Friday, we talk about Bitcoin. It's a great place for your morning news. It's a great place to come learn. Prefer to hang out. For some of the smartest minds of Bitcoin to drop in, talk to us about what's going on. Also a podcast. You can catch it on Spotify, Apple, everywhere you get your podcasts. You can throw myself a follow or Swan Bitcoin to be notified of when those drop. Some cool stuff coming up. Here in the near future, in November, mark your calendars. 10th and 11th, the Pacific Bitcoin Conference is coming to town. Santa Monica, California. Swan has rented the Barker Hangar. It is going to be an amazing venue. One of the largest, I think the largest, Bitcoin-only conference of the year. Parties, events, celebrations, sports. Uh, if you want to come in early and hang out with the Swan team, you can. There's going to be no shitcoiners on the stage, no shitcoin sponsors. Everybody, of course, is welcome to come. It's going to be a great time. Go to pacificbitcoin.la. You can pre-register to be notified of when tickets for that go on sale. It's going to be a lot of fun. Right. Our featured guests today, Alex Brammer, Kyle Schneps. We're all supposed to have Jason Browder up here. Not sure where he's at. I'm sure he'll probably be joining us at some point. But these guys are with BTC Vets. So I'm just going to read a recent tweet for that handle. And uh, guys, welcome. So the tweet was, Are you a frontline American military intel foreign service first responder? Do you believe Bitcoin is going to change society for the better? Do you want to use your experience and expertise to help enable mass BTC adoption? About hell, yes, to all the above. Good morning, guys.
13: Morning, Alex. Appreciate you having us on, man. Good morning.
0: All right, I don't know which one of you guys wants to go first, but tell us a little bit about you for those of you for those people in the audience who have never heard of you guys before. Tell us a little bit about you, and then we can dive into BTC Vets, what you guys are trying to accomplish there, and uh, roll from there.
13: Sure. I'll do a quick intro and then Kyle, will hand it over to you. Alex, appreciate you having us on uh, to talk about BTC. That's a big fan of uh, Swan Bitcoin, the mission you guys are on. Uh, you know, strong Bitcoin-only company and uh, my only on-ramp when I buy and don't mind. So my background, uh, did 15 years in the Army, started off as a, enlisted as a Ranger in the Ranger Regiment, and then did a bunch of school. Uh, did a bachelor's master's PhD kind of in quick succession which we may talk about a little bit later and then uh, came back in as an officer and retired about a year ago uh, and have been working in the mining industry, was at Luxor Tech as their VP of business development for the last year and some change and uh, just moved over to lead uh, digital strategy and asset optimization at Talent Energy, a big uh, 13 gigawatt hour producer in the US.
9: And uh... Yeah, I'll, I will also echo Alex's sentiments. I appreciate you guys uh, having us on and, and giving us a voice today. Um, so I'm Kyle Schneps. Um, I'm currently Director of Public, public Policy at, at Foundry and uh, work kind of uh, in advancing public policy in terms of uh, what, what Foundry and DCG are trying to accomplish, not only in New York but across the country. And uh, my background is as an intelligence officer and uh, did some time as a White House fellow and also uh, as a diplomat. And uh, prior to that, did a master's of international affairs and, and studied public policy and international, uh, you know, just engaging on the international stage in terms of developing policies or uh, with a large focus in national security and, 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 and uh, natural disasters so um, that's that's my background happy to be here today yeah
0: hey it's everyone. Great to have you
9: good
14: morning I, Jason I was able to jump on thanks for having me excited to be here uh, Jason Browder I'm uh, one of the co-chairs and the veterans lead uh, with BTC vets uh, similar background to both Alex and Kyle I'm currently the senior policy advisor for Uh, national security at a think tank in Washington, D.C., really focused on uh, U.S.-China digital governance and tech policy. Uh, But before that, uh, I was also in the military, U.S. Air Force and Iraq veteran, uh, got out of service and uh, served as a principal uh, national security advisor to a U.S. senator from New York and a U.S. congressman from Texas uh, and actually was at the White House with – with Kyle, um, uh, doing some national security foreign policy work, and now um, helping to uh, build out the community of uh, veteran national security leaders, you know, at uh, adopting uh, Bitcoin worldwide.
0: All right, cool. So, uh, I would like to like start out by addressing the. You guys are very obviously your backgrounds are very involved in national security. Intel, etc, in sort of cryptopunk slash bitcoiner culture um, that must be an interesting uh, uh situation there if you guys run into a, a little bit of um, resistance on that front, I'm talking about with bitcoiners, not so much with uh, folks in the in the traditional sort of security apparatus
13: yeah yeah for sure i mean it, there's a tension between the cypherpunk you know cypherpunk philosophy and and folks that are um you know taking a look at this uh potentially as a tool to be used to, to kind of stabilize existing society as construct you know the fact that states exist and the westphalian treaty is still kind of around uh rubs a lot of cypherpunks the wrong way and so yeah i mean there's certainly attention there, and I think that uh, there are some folks in the Bitcoin community that focus on national security, um, who, you know, I'm not going to pick on by name up here, but they've really kind of taken it pretty far and starting to advocate for, you know, Bitcoin to be conceptualized as some kind of like perverse force projection uh, tool and advocating for the U.S. military to start mining Bitcoin, you um, and, uh, you know, we, we certainly don't ascribe to that. And we can talk a little bit more in depth about how we view Bitcoin as being, uh, you know, accretive to U.S. national security. But certainly attention there that, uh, that, you know, requires some discussion, I think.
9: Yeah, I, I, I think there, there can be a, a little bit of attention. But I, I, I think that um, overall, uh, since I've transitioned into actually working in the industry and not just, um, you know, following as an observer... Um, it's been quite welcoming, and I think that's because, you know, a lot of people, Jason, Alex, myself, but then I think a lo- most people in the industry um, can work pretty much anywhere they want and specifically choose um, to apply their, their talents, expertise, and and efforts and time into promoting Bitcoin and proof of work and, and trying to educate not only policymakers but the public, um, and so I think, I think there is that acknowledgement of, of, you know, you have chosen to come in to this world and it's been welcoming to that extent, I think.
0: All right. So just to, I'd like to make sure we clear the air in this. I mean, I don't want to belabor the topic, but I know just, I, I know who our listeners are <laughs> and some of them are going to be like, why did you guys, have, why did you have all these Intel guys up on stage? They're, you know, they. Talk to us about that, like help, help ease these guys' concerns that you are pro-freedom, pro, pro-financial sovereignty and not taking some other position that's anti-freedom, anti-sovereignty, all that other kind of stuff. Yeah,
13: no, I think, and thanks actually for giving us an opportunity. It's funny, I, I, uh, was on a podcast with marty bent a couple months back and had this discussion of kind of my journey into bitcoin and i think that the the common thread and i know alex uh you know i recently found out that you have a military background as well and and it's pretty shocking how many folks with military backgrounds public service backgrounds uh are coming into bitcoin i mean we've got a telegram channel that's growing pretty quickly and and it's just a lot of people that are very like-minded um and a lot of what pulled me personally into Bitcoin was kind of a disillusionment with, uh, you know, the current, my current career trajectory and and what I was doing. I mean, I spent, I did three back-to-back deployments to Iraq during the surge uh, in a special operations group countering, you know, Al-Qaeda in Iraq, what what then turned into ISIS, went and did a PhD in politics, um, you know, degrees in economics, and then went back and and fought, you know, the cousins and kids of Al-Qaeda, you know, in the form of ISIS in Iraq, uh, about ten years later, and you know, as I look at how uh, you know the country's you know, domestic and foreign policy have, has been evolving, it's just clear that uh, things are pretty irrevocably broken, and, and we're seeing that now, kind of um, you know, throughout the world, but also specifically here at home. I think uh, there's a very strong case to be made that the source of the of the malaise that we're experiencing right now is is our broken monetary system. Um, you know, we're in, you know, kind of combining that with big tech that are infringing upon individual liberties and and the threat of CBDCs to turn us into a full-on surveillance state really kind of grates against what a lot of us have spent, you know, the the majority of our adult lives fighting for and and in some cases making the ultimate sacrifice for. And so this is kind of a way, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a way of kind of being, um, you know, enacting some kind of civil disobedience against the system that we used to work inside of. And now, I think a lot of us are working outside of that system to try and, uh, you know, to try and change it. And I don't, you know, we're not trying to overthrow the government or anything like that. Like I still believe in, in the values that, that has made America great. Um, You know, liberty, property, uh, you know, all of these things that we hold near and dear and the things that I thought that I was fighting for when I was in uniform. Um, And I, and I want to bring us back to that place. I think that Bitcoin is a tool uh, that can get us closer back to, to our founding principles in, in the ways that they you know made us create to begin with. And so, I, I, I appreciate the, the skepticism, and I know there's probably some people in the in the gallery that probably think we're all feds, and, and that and that's fine. But I think that our actions will speak louder than our words. Um, and so, just you know, kind of watch us and, and join us if you want to to help to inform policymakers of the way that Bitcoin can bring us back to American values. And awesome. I just want
14: to. I just want to, you know, touch on some of the things that Alex said and, and the, you know, the last piece where he said, you know, look at some of the things that we're working on. So two, two uh, uh, recent things was, uh, of course, the New York State moratorium bill, which was a two-year moratorium on uh, new proof of work digital mining in New York State. Um, and basically, you had certain members, uh, you know, on the New York State Assembly floor, basically touting you uh, like China propaganda of why we shouldn't have like Bitcoin mining in New York state. Um, and you know, using and leveraging our national security backgrounds, um, you know, we're really pushing, pushing that across. Like, you know, this isn't right. This is Chinese propaganda. Um, you know, we shouldn't have, uh, this moratorium. I think Kyle can speak more to that front because he was really on the ground in New York State, but, you know, our group wrote uh, an advocacy uh, paper that we went to New York State and um, and as well got some media coverage and had some like on the ground people from like our community uh, fighting that.
9: Yeah, um, I, I guess as the uh, the intel guy here or former intel guy should I should. Uh, I should probably speak up here. I don't want to stay quiet with, with this question but um, I, I'll say two things about this and you know there's there's not many people um, you know when you when you're you know special ops commanders or military veterans um, and especially the intelligence community um, part of what brought me to Bitcoin is uh, you know I, when, when you're at a certain level of security clearance you are sacrificing. A lot of your basic freedoms, and uh, we have—I I know the intelligence community and folks that I used to work with. I mean, you—you you give up a lot, and if—if if you want to want to know what it's like to to feel constantly surveilled, um, that that may be a good career for you. Um, but it also provides a lot of perspective when you start to have doubts on on that system and its and its legitimacy, and so that is part of what actually led me to try to leave government to to embrace an industry that that also uh en- embrace a career path um i was already following it as a as a you know in my personal life but um to embrace a career path that allowed me to try to spread that sort of message that this that this is a tool for freedom not only for financial independence and financial inclusion, inclusion but also um, potentially to, you know, really give us a shot at at having energy independence, which is very much linked with national security. And so, yes. that's that's how I tend to to think of it. And and secondly, you know, I spent the past ten months, day in day out, fifteen hours a day, um, even through the birth of my first child, not taking a break, trying to fight this this moratorium bill in New York. And uh, the Bitcoin Today Coalition, a lot of industry partners were also involved in that in that fight, and I think that that's sort of a, a testament to where my heart lies. And and I'll say that, um, you know, that's one of the things I hope that the BTC vets can can accomplish is is we're trying to get people involved that are capable of mobilizing, and trying to, um, you know maybe not focus too much on the internal divisions within the Bitcoin industry and the mining industry, but but really getting an actual movement together because the other side is well-oiled and well-funded and they are looking to destroy this industry. And we need to have an ability to mobilize
14: um, in the long run. I think that's a, another great point that Kyle mentioned and something that the BTC vets is doing is a lot of us have – prior relationships, um, whether that's in Congress or the executive branch. So, you know, uh, Biden had the executive order uh, and uh, several of the offices within the White House, the National Security Council and the Office of Science and Technology and Policy, OSTP, both put out several RFIs, you know, directly retired to energy. Um, and, you know, from our previous relationships, you know, we had meetings with the National Security Council, And the the Office of Science and Technology and Policy and trying to help guide them to make sensible um, regulations that, you know, support, uh, you know, energy uh, resiliency, um, Bitcoin mining um, and just like pro Bitcoin adoption policies. But, uh, you know, as Kyle mentioned, we need people in there that have those relationships that understand how the government works and understand how to articulate that to policymakers to, you know, help us make the right decisions.
13: Yeah, the one, the final thing I'll say on that—not to belabor the point—but there is precedent for, uh, you know, national security events to drive policymaking and legislation. The Patriot Act being uh, a perfect example. The Patriot Act has been completely. Um, I think in many ways perverted to allow the federal government to exert more control. It's, it's enabled kind of extra legal, uh, surveillance to occur at a massive scale that was kind of made, uh, very clear during the WikiLeaks, um, saga about eight years ago. And I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to leverage these relationships. We're trying to create a community for folks that have, you know, left the intelligence community, left foreign service, left the military that still have those relationships that have expertise and legitimacy in the space, To go and and advise folks uh, to make sensible policy and and to craft sensible legislation that advances the cause of freedom and privacy and um, you you know financial integrity uh, in ways that it might not actually happen that way. Uh, You know, if there aren't folks with insider experience, uh, you know, advising folks like Lummis and Gillibrand and the OSTP and the National Security Council, uh, you know, and so we're trying to kind of put whatever experience we do have that relates to. This industry, the industry that we've all kind of made a career in now, uh, that's not financial backgrounds. You know, I'm not a Ethan Vera down there from Luxor can tell you that I don't know how to make financial models on Excel, and um, you know, I'm I'm only a moderately uh, talented business development executive. But what I can do is I can speak from my military background, and I can tie you know direct linkages between. You know, financial financial stability, energy stability, and social and political stability, uh, you know, as we watch that kind of degrade in Iraq. And so, um, you know, we're trying to create a community where people can bring their experience and, and, uh, and leverage it to help craft sensible policy that advances Bitcoin.
0: I appreciate you guys taking the time uh, to explain all of that, uh, explain where you guys are coming from. I think it's important for Bitcoiners to know that there's a lot of veterans who end up in intelligence um, or other parts of sort of the the government apparatus that can do a lot of good for Bitcoin um, and are freedom-loving guys. This is the reason why we did it in the first place. In my case, that's the reason I did it. And I, and I know a lot of veterans are the same way. I mean, sure, there's like a huge chunk of guys that just go in because... Either a, they didn't want to go to jail, and it was their choice, or b, you know, it was a way to get a good education for for on the government's time, that, that kind of thing. But a lot of guys that go in is because of essentially, deep down,
14: we just love freedom. We believe in that. Cool. And we also, don't... we, I was just going to say, we also seen, you know, we've been to places and and seen just how bad some places. All right, and you can see this playing out whether it's Sri Lanka or Panama. You know, we think Bitcoin is, you know, is going to change the world in a positive manner, uh, and we'd see how that plays out when it when it doesn't work out like it should.
13: I mean, it's a nice time to be having this uh, this discussion, just given. Um, you know, I was bored yesterday and sat and started to track all the inflation-related protests going on around the world, and it's shocking. I mean, the, the Alex, I heard you guys talking about it in the first part of the show today. Um, but there are a lot of there's a lot of civil unrest right now, a lot of political instability that is uh, directly related to the debasement of uh, you know fiat currency regimes, under which these people live. Um, and I think that that's the true kind of national security function of Bitcoin is to help stabilize uh, you know the financial system. Um, from which everything else is derived, right? Like if you think about Maslow's hierarchy, uh, you know, you have to have basic, your basic security needs satisfied. And in modern society, you have to have money to satisfy those basic security needs. And when those things are not satisfied, people will go into the streets and they will, you know, they will storm presidential palaces and they will, uh, you know, they'll overthrow governments. Um, And if you want to feel what real insecurity feels like, go to a country that's experiencing a large scale insurgency. Uh, you know, where you can't walk down the street without fear of getting you know, shot or blown up from an ID. Um, no one wants to go back to that. Uh, you know, and, that, and this is where I think we diverge a little bit from a lot of the crypto anarchists. Like anarchists are really terrifying um, and, and deeply unsettling and, and deeply... Um, you know, counterproductive state for the world to exist in uh, when it comes to human flourishing. This is why we want to advocate for increased energy consumption, uh, you know, because energy consumption is correlated with human flourishing. This is why we want to advocate for sound money because currency debasement equals political protests. Um, And so, you know, our our efforts now in in the Bitcoin industry are are colored by our experiences, uh, you know, overseas in some of these failed states.
9: Yeah, I'll, I'll piggyback on on Jason's point about you know having that international exposure. It it does provide some exp- uh, some perspective. I'm um, just a personal anecdote. I mean, my first encounter with Bitcoin was years ago. Uh, I was laid up with with malaria in in West Africa, and uh, you know the there was a, a a nurse there, a male nurse, and he you know he was talking about. Bitcoin. I was learning about a little from him, and uh, he was using it for just saving his money because he didn't trust his his government's currency. So, I mean, that's that's a very anecdotal story, but you know, it's something that is eye opening when you when you first see it in person, and now when you see all around the world the the sort of upheavals and due to inflation and 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 other circumstances. Um, it's it's really interesting to see all the different ways that Bitcoin can can fit in as a solution to a lot of people, whether that's um, for internally displaced people, refugees, um, people who want to opt out of their current, you know, of an authoritarian regime that they are, uh, you know, living under. Um, it's a it's a really important tool to be able to preserve wealth in the face of. Of authoritarianism or in uh, in the face of of just the corruption that that occurs in many places in the world that don't have this sort of you know petrodollar to 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 you know lean back on
0: all right so let's do this um because we're starting to get towards the end of the show i've got a a kind of a general group of questions for all of you and then maybe we can open it up a little if people want to ask questions from the audience Um, So to all of you, any of you can answer this and you can all take a stab at it if you want, but tell us about the objectives um, of the organization and how are you guys going about attacking these objectives and how, how people can get involved with you guys?
13: Sure. Yeah, appreciate that. I'll, I'll start here and then Kyle as the president of this thing can, can follow up, but really, like I was saying earlier, it's, it's to provide a venue for uh, folks with experiences like ours and expertise uh, in these certain areas related to energy, uh, you know, energy technology and security and in the, in the intersection there to organize, um, you know, engage with politicians and policymakers, uh, both at the state and the national level. And provide insights, um, you know, and education for the folks that are crafting the next round of policy that's gonna that's gonna govern the regulation of Bitcoin, uh, you know, as a technology and as a commodity. And so, um, you know, that that's kind of the goal is to be an educational platform and a and a way for folks to organize and, and pool resources. Uh, and the way that you can get uh, you know get involved, there's the link is up in the nest. <clears throat> um, you know, you can go to our page. We are a sub organization under the Bitcoin Today Coalition. Uh, So if you go to that page, there's a Google Docs, um, you know, sign up there. You can kind of provide a little bit of information for yourself and then then join the team and, uh, you know, contribute to writing, uh, you know, position papers, response papers to RFIs. Uh, We do DC trips. Jason is located in DC. Kyle goes down there quite frequently, uh, you know, to engage with, uh, you know, congressional folks, staffers, et cetera. So uh, really just kind of a venue to to vector expertise towards, uh, you know, sensible Bitcoin policy.
9: Yeah, and I'll I'll double down on that by by saying, you know, it's we we would really we're really seeking people who are 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 trying to use their experience and and use their insights into government or national security or or whatever it may be, um, diplomacy, uh, to try to you know really be able to communicate what Bitcoin is and, and, you know, for sometimes for people who have no understanding of this, right. And so, um, a lot of policymakers, even ones who have taken votes, um, before on, you know, on Bitcoin ban bills or environmental, you know, they, they have no idea what they're voting on. And so we are trying to, to really be able to communicate to them in a, in a, you know, Intelligent, polite way to get them to understand, and and that's why it's so important to have this sort of national security um, perspective. Is because a lot of these policymakers, whether congressmen, senators, uh, state state senators, you know, assembly members, um, they've you know they have taken the counsel of people who have worked in national security on a whole host of different issues and now we can actually sit down with them and say hey you 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 fought you know you were listening to us on all of these other things and now we're here telling you that this is an important um industry an important tool bitcoin is for you know for not only freedom across the world but also for the u.s to to preserve its energy and national security and and you know that that provides a certain level of significance to them in that they are you know getting briefed on this by same people who have you know briefed them on on other national security issues, and so I think that that really um, is a is a benefit that this organization. You know,
0: have. I'm really glad you guys brought this up because there are bitcoiners who have the view that it doesn't really matter what legislators do, that Bitcoin's going to do what it's going to do. It can't be legislated. It can't be all that kind of stuff. Like no matter what happens in the legislative arena, it's it's Bitcoin's going to eventually do its thing. Um, what would you guys say to that from your perspective as to why it's actually important to engage here?
13: You want to go, Kyle, or, or me? Go ahead, Kyle. <laughs> um,
9: I'll 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 look at it from a, a couple uh, two different perspectives. Or a, the first is is just like on an individual American basis. So let's let's look what they're doing in New York. So they've got this um, Bitcoin mining ban where they're they're trying. If the governor signs it, if Governor Hochul signs this bill that passed the legislature narrowly, um, it's going to limit the access of Bitcoin miners to use fossil fuel generated electricity, any mix of it, it says if you're not using 100 percent renewable energy for your business and you're a crypto miner or you're a Bitcoin miner, you are unable to function. We're going to outlaw you. And so the bill itself is redundant because the the Department of Environmental Conservation just revoked uh, Greenwich's, which is a Bitcoin miner in New York and other places, Um, granted Generations air permit. And so that's 50, 50 Americans, 50 New Yorkers who could potentially be out of a job after the litigation goes through, be out of a job. And so, you know, you have individual Americans who could be affected just on the basis of their livelihoods. And we have to remember that the, the usual environmentalists on the other side are, are well-funded and they don't want to stop until they can end this industry. And they will use virtue signaling policies that they don't, you know, that have very serious second and third order effects across the world. Um, they will use these sort of, uh, this sort of grandstanding to try to limit this industry's flourishing in the, in the United States. And secondly, you know, I think we just, as Bitcoiners, have, have a, you know, a responsibility to try to work and orange pill as many people as possible. And, and if those people are, are elected officials, more the better. And so I, I, I think there's, there's no downside to engaging in the dialogue because otherwise you're giving the other side, um, you know, nothing, you know, no, no, <laughs> no obstacles to overcome. And yeah. The, yeah. the data is on our side here. Um, the other side doesn't have any data or facts or science. It's just somebody screaming the word environment as loud as they can. And (laughs) we need to have an alternative to that. Um, we need to energy use is bad. You're (laughs) not. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So
0: So we're, we're, we're pretty much out of time for the show. This has been a really engaging conversation for me. I appreciate you guys coming. I've enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, Maybe have you back again sometime to go a little deeper now that you've explained yourselves to the community and you're not spooks. Well, maybe. But You understand what I'm saying.
11: Um,
0: Thanks for the love. Yeah, let's... uh, Why don't we do this? If you guys want to make some closing comments, we'll let each of you guys, if you want to do that, and then we'll move move to wrap. I I know there's questions. Surfer Jim, I see your hand up. We're out of time, brother. So we're going to let these guys close up and then we'll wrap the show. I don't know which one of you guys wants to go first, go ahead.
13: Yeah, just I'll be super brief here to add on to, because I think it's a really important point about why it's important to engage with, uh, you know, the policy and legislative process and the, and the lens that I look at this year is, uh, you know, for the jurisdictional arbitrage. There, are Bitcoiners, we are right when we say that regardless of how individual jurisdictions try and regulate things, the Bitcoin network is gonna continue to produce blocks every 10 minutes and, Uh, you know, it will continue to flourish. It's where that flourishes that is what concerns us. Like, I love America. I don't want to move. You know, if America all of a sudden turns around and and pulls a CCP and bans Bitcoin, like I probably will move because, you know, my life now is kind of wrapped up in this uh, an irresponsible part of my portfolio and financial well-being is wrapped up in this. And I also just deeply believe in it, uh, you know, from a philosophical uh, perspective, but I don't want to leave America because it's home. Um, and so if we don't engage with regulators and policymakers uh, and, and we allow adverse regulation to choke off uh, the ability for Bitcoin to propagate through our own home jurisdictions, we will be forced to become nomads uh, or, or to become expats somewhere else. And, and frankly,
14: uh, I don't want to do that. So that's why I do this. And the last thing I'll, I'll say is just a pitch to people that are interested in joining. Like you have a unique experience. If you were you know, a diplomat, or if you were intelligence, or you were running convoys in Iraq, your experience is unique. Your uh, the time that you've spent abroad in different types of countries is unique, uh, and we need diverse voices um, to really push this forward. So we hope that you'll you'll join us.
9: I'll I'll close by by saying this: um, there's there's always every every important movement is always going to have. You know internal squabbles or or divisions um and in fact it's somewhat necessary to sometimes have more extreme wings and and more and, and sometimes more central wings but but at the end of the day you're not going to have a successful movement until you know you can mobilize and get everybody together against you know a common enemy that is trying to ruin this industry and so i think that's really important so in the long term we would love to use this organization to try to mobilize people and the goal of that is simple. And it's, it's just that I would love to have Bitcoin debates and internal divides while we are in the halls of power and not just on Twitter. And so yep. if we can get there, that is the absolute goal.
0: Nails it. Well said. Um, all right. Once again, thanks, guys. Really appreciate you being here. Surfer Jim, you had a quick comment you wanted to make, and then we will wrap.
12: Uh, Alex, thank you so much. I just wanted everybody to know. I met with New York State Senator Philip Boyle last week. He's a childhood friend. We went to high school together. I went there because he voted. There were two bills he voted pro- he, he voted properly on one, as far as I can tell. I'm not going to get into that, but I, he did not know much about Bitcoin or Bitcoin mining, which I anticipated. I explained to him that Bitcoin miners are stabilizing grids. By using the excess electricity that currently goes to waste, he got it to the point where he said to me, do you think it would make sense for me to introduce
7: a bill that required utility companies to add Bitcoin miners to to stabilize the grid? I said, you would be a pioneer, not only for New York, but for the whole
12: country. Do it. He said, I will send you a draft before I propose it.
0: Nice. Well done. Okay. That is a wrap. Once again, I appreciate you guys coming today. Let's let's do it again sometime. I'd like to dig in further. Uh let's go over to Chris Bitcoin Magazine. You have any uh closing statements or comments? Anything you want to announce?
10: Yeah, no. I think this ties in very nicely to the censorship resistant issue that we just dropped a few weeks ago. Uh you know, we I know there was talks in the beginning of the show talking about ways to send a Bitcoin transaction without the internet. There actually was an article in that magazine about it. Aside from it being a beautiful magazine, we put a lot of work into it. A great swan ad in there of a young boy breaking down the Berlin Wall, a whole host of other things, multi-sig setups and and such. Also talking about the Canadian Truckers Convoy, a lot of great articles in there. Uh, We have Bitcoin Magazine live at 10 a.m. Pacific or 1 p.m. Eastern. We're going to be doing news and notes with PQ and myself. We will be talking to Greg Foss for 90 minutes about all things macro We will definitely be touching on Sri Lanka, the Japanese bonds blowing out, a whole host of other issues. And then we'll be doing an episode of Bitcoin Magazine Pro with Dylan, Sam, and CK talking about macro and on-chain stuff. So that's it from Bitcoin Magazine. Back over to you, Alex. Thank you.
0: Alrighty, then. That's a wrap. You have been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. The place for your morning news on Bitcoin. Preferred Hangout for some of the smartest minds in Bitcoin to just chill, talk about what's going on. We do it every day. It's a live show on Twitter Spaces. You can catch us at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern, roll for about two hours. If you don't catch the live show, it is also a podcast. You can catch it on Spotify, Apple, everywhere that you get your podcast. Throw myself a follower, Swan Bitcoin, to be notified of when those drop. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin, Bitcoin Magazine. Sponsors of the show: My Crew, Aunt Shane, Sats for Life, Producer Jacob. I am your host, Alex Stanzik. I work with Swan Bitcoin. If you want to know more about Swan, shoot me a DM. I'm happy to help you. Thanks again, guys, for coming, and to all the speakers who pop in here on the regular. I admire you. I appreciate what you do, bringing this bright orange future, to the rest of the planet. This is what I call get on the mission. I love all of you guys. Everybody, go out there and have a great day today. Crush it.